Well, g'day guys. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Mitch Stocker. This is Life in the Peloton. And yes, you would have seen it. I've got a Alison Jackson 2023 Women's Roubaix winner. So excited to get her on the podcast. Everything Roubaix and what a ride it was. So it was so good to have her to talk about that ride at Roubaix. The podcast is being brought to you by Rafa, our proud partners, and Alison is riding in EF Education, TIPCO, Silicon Valley Bank team, which is wearing Rafa clothing. I asked her what it's like working with Rafa as a company. I love Rafa. It's global sort of view on um, bike riding and not just, you know, with the elites, but really for a whole community. And they really latch on to great storytelling and great storytelling of of humans and the human story. It's not just about the product. Their product is top dollar, top good stuff, top shelf, you know, but it's being able to take that from the elites and also spread it to, you know, everyone and making that connection, bridging the gap between being a a pro rider and being, you know, someone in the community. Now the podcast with Alison, she's just a bundle of energy. She's such a great person. And we talk about Roubaix. We unpack that race because what a race it was. It was her third edition in the race. She's ridden every women's Roubaix and she's had outstanding results there. And of course, this year, standing on top of the podium there and winning Roubaix from the breakaway, driving that breakaway in the final kilometers I was watching it, even though I knew she'd won, I still didn't know how she was going to win. I'm not going to say too much more about that because we're going to talk about that in the podcast. We're going to talk about some other things too. Alison, she's from Alberta, Canada, and it's something that I could relate to too, jumping over from Canada to set up your base in Europe, something that I had to do from Australia as a pro and find your feet in another culture. She's ninth year as a pro now, so she's made that happen. And it was really interesting talking about those different difficulties that she had over the time in Europe trying to set up as a pro. She's a lot of fun, like I said. I'm sure you've seen her on social media. But when it comes to racing, she's all serious and she gets the business done. Well, just before we get to this episode, I want to tell you about AG1. AG1 is the foundation of daily health. Time is short now being a dad and that is why I like AG1. I know I need to start each day on the right foot. I take AG1 first thing in the morning. Typically, I've had a few too many beers the night before and generally I'm waking up a bit dusty. And apart from all the nutritional benefits and support AG1 gives me, It's also great to have half a litre of water straight off the bat in the morning. AG1 is more than just greens. It's a comprehensive blend of vitamins and minerals, probiotics, and superfood complexes. It helps provide digestive support, immunity support, metabolism, energy, and stress support. It's that all-in-one, and it's something I was using when I was racing professionally overseas. But now, it is one of the things I've continued to use since retiring as well. It's not only for the elitists, pro athletes, looking for those one percenters. It's for everyone. Anyone who wants to feel good and make sure they're covering their nutritional bases. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, the AG1 is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Head across to drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton. That's drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton and check it out. Guys, I'm not going to talk any more about this. Sit back and enjoy this one. 
This is Alison Jackson, Mrs. Paribay. Oh, here we go. This is going to be a bit special. Alison Jackson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm just going to go straight for it. I'm not even going to muck around. Let's talk about the big one, Roubaix. We're just sort of, you're probably just coming off the big bender now. Um, you look a bit bit wrecked still, you know, you're still just coming, you know, coming off uh, a few big weeks of celebrating. Roubaix, I can't believe it. This is just like a dream come true for anyone. I go straight. How has it changed your life up until this point? You know, it's actually our goal always is to win bike races, right? Sure. And to win a world tour race also for me means a lot. And I know like Roubaix also is super special. And since we've had it in the woman's calendar, only just a couple of years now. Mm. And I remember the first year you like get to that, to the start and the air just, it feels different. It's, there's mm. so many people there. It, like this race is for spectators. Absolutely. They just love watching from mm. kilometer zero to the end. Cause there's so much action. There's so many things that they got to follow and watch because, you know, it's not just the the best of the best getting to the end. You've got to have all that good luck. There's so many things that go into it that's out of your control as, a, as an athlete, basically. But yeah, the air just feels different being there. So the, the atmosphere also in the velodrome is just super special. But and after after winning, yeah, I know it's such a big deal, but I think the, the ripples of the wind just keep going. Mm. And um, I think it's. You know, you don't think that you can, you know, change the world by winning a bike race, but <laughs> I feel like the the influence that it has, and I think also like how the race played out and how I won, and also who I am as a as a person, a little bit of a weirdo, just like connects with a lot of people, and it just like yeah, like you say, like the party keeps going, or like I had yeah. a week in Belgium where you're just and you know people are showing up to the team house with like. Canada flags, Alberta flags, like for coming for like, out of the woodwork. <laughs> absolutely. Just like, where are these people coming from? Or, or I'm racing Amstel Gold and people are cheering for Mrs. Roubaix, like stuff like that. That's just like so cool. Then I go to Panama, I race Pan Am Champs, and there's a whole mm. other wave of people like in South America. They don't really, those countries don't really produce a classics type of rider. And then for a Perry Roubaix winner to come to where they're mm. at was also. I understand just like how meaningful that would be or how cool that would be for anyone to meet me. And it also, I just love that it gives them a story to tell for the rest of their lives that they met me or that I filmed the TikTok with them or something. And then, and then after that week, coming back to Girona, where it's like all my friends and my people, you know, my family that's away from home, you know, my real family. And, and then having another sort of like, you know, we, had a surprise party for me where we basically watched the final bits of Roubaix too. Wow. And I could just watch all my, you know, closest friends and like other Canadian athletes, you know, watching them watch me. And they're just so proud of me. They're so excited about the race. It's so, it's a emotional. Um, and it, it was beautiful. So it's I just like, yeah, I just feel like the emotions and feelings and the the whole thing just keeps going. A good friend of mine, Matt Heyman, when he won, um, he said he couldn't really watch 
the race again because it was just too emotional for him. He's watched it, but he won't watch it all the time because he said it just gets too emotional for him. He gets, you know, it's too it's too big. Um, how was it for you rewatching it? It sounded like it was a bit of a bit of a party, but could you feel that, oh, I'm reliving this again. This is this is heavy. Not in a good way. You know what I mean? So for us, like I think what's so meaningful about also being in Perry is that there have been years and years before of women pushing mm. to have this race. So that's kind of like the history build that we have. But like for someone like Matt Heyman, who's raced it year after year and always like, you know, tasting the win and then having disappointments. And so for, for him, that's a really long personal journey. I think for me, rewatching it, I feel the history and sort of the build of passion for what it means for mm-hmm. women and what it means for our sport. But then for me, no, I watch mm-hmm. it. And I just get so jazzed about it. <laughs> and But also... um. In that final, it, it's a really intense final coming in when we're our gap is like five, you know, nine yeah. seconds, ten seconds. So even I'm rewatching it, I'm like, oh my, like my heart is is heart rate's getting a little higher, um, because I think sometimes in the bike race, like you know it's close, but when you're like watching it, like when I'm rewatching it, I'm like, oh, there's no chance, <laughs> even though we know the outcome. But I think for it's, me, it's just like rewatching it is so special. Watching it with the people that I love, and then and also just seeing like, yeah, their reactions to it and how you know we have a story when we're in the bike race, but everyone else watching it has their own story connected with that race and how they were feeling and the journey they experienced mm-hmm. watching sport. And how we that's that. what, yeah, <laughs> right, because it's like. It's my story, but um, yeah, the, I think that's what's cool with like sport is that it brings in people, you know, and and they feel like they experienced a part of that win, um, or you know, people that have known me, you know, a little bit or not, or just on you know media, social mm-hmm. media or whatever, they they take a piece of that and they, and they take it and own it, and I that's one of the things I love about sport. Like you said, women's Roubaix has been around for three years. I sort of feel like you've got a bit of a knack for the race. Just looking at your results, not only at Roubaix, you seem like a classics rider, a one-day rider. You know, 24th in the first wet Roubaix, 13th in the next edition, and then obviously this year the win. Those are really credible results. That continual sort of success in a race that is pretty unpredictable. Tell me about your sort of feelings about the race. I don't want to say your love for the race. Um is it that, or is it you always sort of like, yeah, I think actually this race could suit me, and then you got in it, and you're like, oh, I actually don't mind the cobbles. Well, the first year was that super wet mm. edition, and honestly, after that race, if someone asked me if I like Perrier Bay, I was like, no way, because it's, I mean, in racing, I like a bit of chaos, I really do, um, but that was too much because mm. with. It's, it's such a harsh harsh race. I had, like, after that year, that edition, that was, like, a shorter edition for us, too. And my body was so rattled. You know, like, days after, you just, like, feel it in your bones. And you're, all these pieces of your body that you never knew existed. And my hands were wrecked. And it was, like, you know. But after, that's also, like, the lure of the race is, like, the storytelling after when you're like, oh, can you, I crashed three times, you know, like, oh, if, if I got a clean run, what could happen? You know, the second edition though, with uh, being a dry race and basically my tactic is at every moment, if I could not ride the cobbles, (laughs) um, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm hitting the gutter the whole time, but then that's like a, it's like almost like a, 
a fun game it feels like play yeah. that i'm playing in the race and then it's just enough like jazzy bits that you're like in and out and jumping around and then that's more when i like really grew to love the race i just thought it's like there's so many ways to race it depending on the weather and it's it's mm. this like enough amount of chaos that i yeah just really could bite into or love and that second edition like i crashed one time and i just that that's what i feel like for me as an athlete i just was like well if I get into a race where I have all good luck, then for sure I'm going for the win. I also think it's a race where when the, there's a lot of pressure and, you know, like the, the build going into that race is huge. But for me, I feel so relaxed because mm. I think I I give it over to like, there's so much that's out of my control. All oh. I can do is like in each moment, just like make the right decision. But otherwise, like it, it's not just about me, how I ride. You have to give it over to like how the race will play out. So I feel so calm going going into that race and just like take it bit by bit. So then that, yeah, I think I just get to really enjoy the race. Well, tell me about this year's edition because you said, I've heard this before, that you said you wanted to be in the break. That is much easier said than done, um, especially in the men's. You know, obviously, I, I don't know what it's like in the women's at the start, but the men's race is that 100K fight and it really does get underestimated. Now they're showing it on TV. I think people actually get, oh, it's actually race. It's actually pretty hilly. And that is a really successful way to do well. It's pretty much the only way I did well and um, got up there, got a head start and then you missed the chaos. You said you want to go in the break. 13th though, the year before, you said, no, nah, maybe I'd go up the road and you know have a dig that way. Obviously, it came off in terms of you getting in the break. Tell me about the idea of the break and how you even made that happen. What was the fight like? So, because in our edition, what makes it also really hard and in the two years previous was that we always had these like crit laps before we went in. So like the speed is so high, you're basically racing to position every corner. There's no way that something can really get away or get away with enough time that it's going to be successful. In this edition, 2023, we had a much longer sort of preamble before getting onto the cobbles in a a lap that was kind of like long stretched out. So, okay, there's that's when you kind of know the peloton's going to lull. We're not going to race from corner to corner. You know, people could sit up and then, you know, we're, then the, the race gets, you know, faster when you're trying to position for that first cobbled bit. So I thought, you know, the potential for a break to go is high. It's also because we don't have so many additions where we can look back like, oh, this is where it always happens or this is where you, you think it could happen. You really just have to be mm. attentive. And yeah. and then for me too, uh, from the team car, mm. you know, the plan is like, I'm, I'm good at the positioning part. So like if I, I, I could save it till later and then fight in the chaos and, and I would probably make it all right. From the what we had done as a team for the spring, like we're, we're a good team. We had seen a lot of things that were good, but just like really missing the mark. And that for me really just built this fire in that I was frustrated with losing. And mm -hmm. of course, you know, in our sport, we're going to lose more than we win. But I just felt like we were waiting too much and then missing out and then just, you know, ending up in that second or third group and then really you have nothing. And so I just thought I would rather get in a race, bleed through my eyeballs, leave it all out there and then just be proud of like that big effort than just like mm -hmm. waiting and then and not quite going my way. So then when we get to that front, also, I do believe in Perry-Roubaix, like the better position you can get, if I can get a clean run without having to fight for the cobbles or chance getting punctures or crashing, then yeah, 
you know, that's also me believing in my strength over that long course that by the end, I'm still going to be like a strong rider. So then I was like, no, I'm keen. I'm, I'm going to see, just suss out like the beginning part of the race. How is it going to play out? And then just like follow my instincts, which for me as a bike racer, that's what has made me get to where I've been. It's just like following my race feel. So then, yeah, we, we come, it's only like, you know, whatever, 40K, uh, 30K into the race. Yeah. And this huge group is going. So I'm just, you know, oh, following up in it. Great. Yeah. And then we just start rolling. And it's like really one person from every team, you know, such a special makeup of a group that it's not two from a team. So one can sit on or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, but in the end, once we're in there, then that's, I made the decision that like this was going to be my tactic. We're riding this break. We're seeing how far it goes and and committing to that idea where I think a lot of times in women's racing, everyone wants to get in the break, but then no one wants to ride it. Mm. And then in the end, it kills the breakaway and, and it's never going to make it to the final. But I think what also made us successful was my commitment that I, I was going to take turns every time. There's girls sitting on, other girls are right, coming up to me being like, but Allison, there's all these girls sitting on. And I was just like, who cares? What do you want to do? You yeah. know, like we're in the breakaway. What do you want to do? It's a different race. Like it's not like any other race where you see you're on big stretches of road into big headwind parts where you get heaps of rest. Sure, there are some small road sectors, but once you get on the cobbles, yeah, if it's a block headwind, you probably don't want to be on on the front. But from what I understand, you guys didn't have that block headwind. So being sort of rolling through is, is beneficial anyway. Yeah, totally. And I think it's just like sometimes... You know, the girls in, in their ear from the DS in the back is probably just saying, don't do more work than anyone else. Well, then that just everyone, if everyone's playing that tactic, it's just going to get slower and slower and then it's going to die. And I think, too, yeah, once you get on the cobbles, it's really hard from behind to to really chase, right? Because when, mm. a leader on the cobbles, you're basically leading one time on the cobbles, one person, and then, you know, maybe you're switching off um, some in-between parts. But it's, um, yeah, it's such a benefit just to be out front. But then you like you have to commit to that that um, play, and I think what helped for us is like you know there's a lot of girls that just wanted to sit on or unsure if they wanted to commit, but the group was so big, so even it was just enough to keep it going until really the final bits where you know I attacked a couple of titans on the cobbles that really like made us in a smaller group, and then just like motivating mostly by like example that just like if I'm riding through I'm riding through every time I'm showing that I believe in this group. So then it makes the other girls think, well, I mean, she thinks we can make it. So like we can too. It was so awesome. This is a bit I wanted to tell you before we recorded. I accidentally looked on my phone in the morning because over here I watched the races the next day so I don't have to stay up. And I saw this image of you on the ground. I didn't see if you'd won. I thought, ah, oh, I don't want to believe that she's won because I sort of want to be surprised. Maybe she just had a good ride. And then when right. I went into watching it, I saw like, Sort of at the end, like when the pressure was on, like 14K to go, sort of like coming off, you know, into the second last, a third to last sector, Guzon, you know, you're off um, Carrefour de Labra and you just start ripping it. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is cool. Yeah. Like she's really going for it here. You know, the gap's sort of like 45 seconds. Someone has to do something. Coming off him, like one sector to go, you just pretty much ride the front with one other girl more or less. I'm like... Ah, uh, unfortunately, I don't think she's going to win it. No, not not this way. No way. Like, she's just committing way too much. She's just driving this. All the other girls are sitting on. So, it was such a great surprise for me because you, like, exactly what you said just before. I'm going to die trying. I would rather die out here yeah. than just get caught. And you led by example almost probably too much, but you showed 
Yeah, the legs. Like, tell me about the velodrome coming in and then, like, I, I can't remember the girl who hit over you, but she sort of hits over. And again, I was like, oh, it's a shame. She's she's gone. Last corner, this girl's gone. Uh, tell me about the velodrome. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's also funny, like, re-watching it when you watch all these shows that analyze the race and they say yeah. all these things, like, all the good things that I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, wow, yeah. I guess that was a good idea. Because, like, in in those moments, you're just you just have to feel it out. You think too much and then you're out. So, yeah, it was me and Marta Locke from WNT that were really driving it. And I mean, really, for any of us, if we get a top six in Paris-Roubaix, that's a great result. You know, and I think that's almost where like Marta was coming from was just like, I'm going to I'm also going to ride and just like, you know, hope for the best or whatever. For me, I, I in that group, I'm a pretty good sprinter. So I thought even if I'm pulling so hard, I'm not going to get last. I might not mm. win, but I'm not going to get last. And was was that's kind of like what I was were you thinking you know, the top riding into. Were you thinking the top six thing too? Or were you like, no, I actually, I reckon I can podium this i want to win this so we're just like i'm just going to try and stay away from the rest and i'll get top six yeah so well basically it was like the worst i can do is going to be fifth (laughs) in my mind (laughs) is what i think but but you know really it was like we've spent 140k out in front here this is our play and no way i'm going to give it up or give it a give myself a chance that i'm going to end up you know just still 13th or whatever so then it was like so yeah, I just wanted to give it absolutely all. But when we're coming into the velodrome, there's still a couple of girls, right, that had just sat on all day. The FDJ girl, the SD Works girl. So when we're coming in, I have also this really competitive side of me where it's like mm. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that though not these yeah. girls do not win. And after um, racing Burbanceville with um, Marta, she you know she comes up to me and she goes like you know congratulations congratulations. I'm so glad you won. And I was like, oh, yeah. like th- thank you. And she's like, because I didn't want any of those other girls who didn't pull through to win. And I was like, I feel you. And I think oh. that's like, for me, I race with so much heart and passion that when we get into moments like the velodrome, that's when I'm going to dig like deeper than what you think that you can or sometimes what your body can do. It's like a real mental like passion thing that's going to make me give all in that in that last um you know, sprint. But coming in, I was like, I was so happy to be second wheel. Marto was riding full gas. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's going to be a faster sprint, which feels good for me. But like, right behind, we in, 10 seconds behind, weren't they? Yeah. It's, Agonly, it's I was close. Only close. Someone had to pull. You know what I mean? It was just like, yeah. thank God someone pulled. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like perfect position for me when we're coming around. Um, and then, you know, it was it's really weird in the velodrome too, if a, a girl coming on the inside, the left side, because I know it, where it's a road race, but still in the velodrome, it's like a weird thing that someone's yeah. also trying to pass like on that, on the blue on apron, the on, dessert. on the yeah. duck birds, yeah, duck boards. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was just like whatever spot that was kind of slick, like Marta, her, her back wheel hit that spot and kind of like fish tilled a little bit and then she came up onto the uh onto the track and then yeah um sd works just takes her out so you know that's also adding like a bit of chaos like you know that could have taken anyone else out with her or whatever and um then when we're coming around i just i knew i needed to have space so i didn't get boxed in but then yeah the the other girl that flew by me you know pretty quick and i was like oh like this is the moment like it's like there's no way like it's that feeling where you're like Right now, I'm, you know, I'm second. I'm not winning when I'm behind her. But I, just like knowing a little bit about the track, staying a little higher, catching speed. And when we came around that bend, I had so much more speed than her. And then, right, you're just like looking for the line, looking for the line. And it's like, I'm riding this all the way through because I don't want to end up like 
our Canadian legend Steve Bauer who got pipped at the line you know by like the center yeah. so I was like we're riding full to the line but you know when I look back like really I won I won the sprint by by so much but also like my power for that sprint is like half of what I can do as a sprint but but it's just like yeah that's because it's like a day on the pedals all day on the pedals it's a hard race you're not going to have a peak power at the end of a race like that but yeah it's enough to just like to also have that clean win so you cross it and you know straight away and that it's yours yeah 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 the double kick, you did the double kick too which is like when you kicked you come around her in the seat i'm like come on driver and you just suddenly go you know what I've got actually a little bit more. It might just jump out of the seat again. I'm like, who is this? Where are these legs coming from? I just, I, I love watching that moment of like, I can only imagine what it's like, but this sort of inner like strength that just comes from somewhere, you know? And I just, yeah. like, even when I remember watching Matt Heyman, I'm like, how the hell, why did you lead that out? And you just ride Tom Boonen off your wheel. And that was the same feeling I had for you. Yeah. I sort of thought, she, I think, I think she actually might win this. Oh, no, she can't. She can't win it. It was just brilliant. I just loved watching it. Yeah. Let's go back. Let's go right back to the beginning because I want to know how someone from Canada, Alberta, gets to Europe. Canada, it's cycling. It's not even really a second tier sport there. From what I understand, you grew up in the rural, you know, on a farm or something. And, you know, cycling, I can imagine, was really not in the realm. What was it like growing up? In Canada, first of all, you know, how come you didn't play hockey, of all things? <laughs> well, we always, we all play a little bit of pond hockey. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, farm kid, like, growing up, what was the what was the first kind of activities I did? It was, like, farm chores, for sure. Right. But I think, like, I grew up and I just had a lot of outdoor energy uh, that, you know, when I think of pe- kids growing up in the city, like, you know, you're kind contained in sort of that house and that kind of like energy or outdoor physicality you don't it's not as easy to just you know grow into but yeah we had so much space to roam around and and you know climb things and play with things and then and then basically in my small town like you join a sport and you become a sport kid you have to join every sport so that we have a team so and then and you know I grew up like I really do just have this passion to win. And so in the small town, like I'm trying to, I'm being boys. I'm being, in every sport, I'm going to be the winner. But then, like what's, but then, what sports? Like what? Soccer, play a little softball, uh, like volleyball, you know, like school sports. Um, I, w- I was in gymnastics when I was younger. Also oh, yeah, nice. took ballet class, like some of these, like just like anything I, I could do. Yeah. Then uh, I think it's almost like that. Like I was a big fish in a little pond, right? Yeah. But you also develop this feeling that if I work hard and I also like, you know, drive it every time, like all all in every time, then I can be successful. And then you also get this feeling of like, I, you know, sports are fun, but winning is a special type of fun. Because it was small and not many people, you're just getting used to winning. You're like, oh yeah, I'm just the king yeah. of the world here. No worries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it'd be funny because then, I remember I got like picked for, you know, like um, whatever the top tier like soccer team uh, to go to, you know, like handpick to go to their help them at their provincials or whatever. But then you get to this next level and it's like, whoa, I didn't know that this level was possible. Or like as a kid, I was a gymnast and then going to like the next level or going to the city and then being like, I've never seen these tricks ever. If I had seen them before, I would be doing them right now because I'm, yeah. I'm just like a fearless kid. Like I'll just try, try anything. I think like from a small town sometimes and, you know, 
we don't yeah have a lot of you know professional athletes and i think sometimes it's cuz yeah we don't see what's possible always for me it's like i will what i will say i'm a yes person i'll say yes to opportunity i'll say yes to a new thing and then dive in and see how far you can take it you know and so i think that was that was basically just like the philosophy of of life like do really well with what you've got right now don't think about like the dis any disadvantage or whatever just like dive in for what for what you have um, and the resources that you have at the moment. And then, yeah, basically it's like I went, um, yeah, from a small town out to to the West Coast, BC for school. And I took this like guiding program where I just like rock climbed, we snowboarded, we snow caved, we, you know, Sweet. ski toured. We just like did all this like other wild stuff. And um, and then while I was out there, I, uh, well, I had been doing, I really wanted to learn how to surf. So I had been swimming. I was going on this like three week trek in the Himalayas. So this, I, I was running to just like, you know, fitness for this high altitude. And then, um, yeah, I had, had found a, a bike that I just thought, oh, I'll just like rip around a little bit. And, and then that someone was like, oh, you training for a triathlon? And I was like, yeah, it sounds like it. I was like, yeah, I was like, well, what is that? that? And then, uh, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, in uh, my small town, actually, there's a, a guy who had, was doing Ironmans and he, he put this little club together. So I hopped in there and then, um, yeah, went to a race with them and, and qualified for like amateur worlds. And I was like, okay, wow. yeah, I got a, I got a bit of talent here. So like, what would happen if I just like went all in, but then yeah, went back to u- university, um, and like joined a swim team joined a running team, joined, joined a cycling team, ended up getting like a running scholarship at university. And then, but I was always just training like with these individual groups. So the cyclists, all these old dudes were just like, oh, you got to race, you got to race. And then, um, yeah, basically at the end of university, I just wanted to be a pro athlete, but it really didn't matter to me what sport at that time. I just, I just love what training can do to the, like the human body is so adaptable and it just like grows and learns. So I think that's really cool and exciting. And then- Were you liking, uh, were you liking any particular culture of each sort of, like you said, you were training individually for running, you know, swimming as well, or, you know, cycling. And like you said, the old blokes, was there something like, you know, we like, oh, you know what? These are all fun. I love the physical stuff, but that culture in cycling, say, or culture in running, I don't know, maybe you liked running more. It's better. It's cooler. I don't know. Was it something like that that attracted you? What was weird, like going from triathlon mostly or triathlon mm. and running, like men and women, we do all the same things, like all the same distance, um, you know, met, like in running, men know female track times that are good. Women know male track times that are good. Same in triathlon. You know, you're at the same events. You're racing the same distance. Coverage and media, everything is like so equal. So then going to cycling, it was really weird. Like it was a weird thing because also sometimes there's people kind of doing secret training or it was like where all the other sports for me are, it's like a lifestyle thing. Everyone does them together and, and, um, you know, like the strongest will come out of it. But in cycling, um, and it was so male dominated. And then also just like, that's what you really felt these like different levels or like um so that was so that it was really shocking for me to first come into it like that but what i did really like about uh cycling is that sometimes it's not always the strongest person that wins it's the smartest or like or the boldest and so even sometimes you know going in these like local races and then and then like winning the men's side of things Mm. just because either they're not expecting that the girl can stay away or it's just like how you use energy when I really 
like the spiciness of the game is like really attracted me. Mm, um, so it's just not like another training session. Like I sometimes, and I'm probably get murdered for saying this, but like sometimes I feel like a triathlon is essentially who can do his best training session with a number on. You know what I mean? Like yep. once you've got all those things, you're not allowed to literally race another guy. You're not allowed to sit in a slipstream. And like I said, I'll probably get murdered for saying this, but I really love cycling. Like you said, I wasn't the biggest engine out there, but I had to work out a way to be at the front without riding around the outside and all those things. Um, it is a cool game. And you, like you said, not like Roubaix is such the pinnacle of that to go back and talk about that. We see the best guys win it or the best girls win it, but we also see the, well, I'm not disrespecting anyone who isn't, you know, said they're, you know, a rock star, but Anyone can win it. And that's what kept me inspired for so many years. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, maybe I can win Roubaix. You know, maybe maybe there's a chance for me um, because you play your cards right. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that's also like, especially Roubaix, why it's a love-hate relationship mm. with athletes because you're like, it's so rough and like, oh, I. but I also feel like, like keep the dream alive. Like if there's still this chance, there's yeah. always this chance, you know? Let's yeah. talk about making the jump to Europe because like you said before, you come you came from a small town. Making the jump to Europe, that's something that I did as well is and a, a lot of Australians have to do that big jump. There's a lot of, you know, Canadians, I was good friends with Swain Tuft who had to make that jump and we were we were sort of mates of that situation because we both got it. We're both not in our own homes and it's quite a bit of a skill. You've got to sort of master, you've got to quickly master, you've got to make yourself feel like home because that's half the game. Like you mentioned, the racing side of things, working out the tactics, you've got to be strong. Of course, that's all it. But if you're not feeling happy at home, as in your new yeah. home in Europe, you go to these races, they're just all too hard. You're like, I, I just sort of hate life. And you can only do that for so long. Tell me about your jump to Europe when you initially came across, but also understanding what you needed to keep because you're in your ninth year as a pro. It's something in longevity as a pro. You've got to quickly master that and understand how the whole system works and be happy. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, yeah, a lot of times for non-Europeans, sometimes the hardest thing is just not having that familiarity of family life or or even like the surroundings are just different. You know, the food's just, things are just a little different. And and also like Europeans don't get it that when we're out Mm. here, you know, like we're away from home for months at a time. Whereas like, you know, Europeans can go home on the weekend. They can still see their friends they grew up with. They can, you know, have lunch with their mom or or whatever. culture. Even if it's just the culture, hanging out in a place like there's a thing I miss so much in Australia, going down to the pub, talking to the guy behind the, the bar who I don't even know about absolute rubbish, but we both yeah. have a chuckle because we're both, you know, Aussies. Yeah, you have you have the same. And that and that's actually, we you know why, like being on EF Education, Tipco SVV, this team, we have the same reference points of like humor. And I mean, mm-hmm. I love a good joke and some silly bits, but, you know, like trying to pitch a joke to the Italians who are like, sorry, who is that? If you're like, you know, or like, oh, what's fine. that song? And no one knows. And you're like, uh, you know, I'm saying a silly word that referencing something from, you know, Canada or American culture that is just like, ah, it just doesn't hit right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, some of that, or like you're talking about TV shows, like I'm talking about The Office. And, uh, you know, like, you know, now on this team, like people know it. And so you you, know, you can have like a, a double layered laugh from it. I like when I came over, um, because I also, you know, I started late. So I was 25 when I signed my first, 
you know, pro contract that was mostly North American based. And, and mm-hmm. with the national team and, and with my team, we came over to Europe for a couple of blocks. And, uh, you know, I think it's also something like I didn't have, you know, stars in my eyes for, you know, the top, top riders or Mariana Voss. I just, I just wanted to get in and I wanted to win. You know, I had this burning mm. desire to win. I also, you know, knew that coming into the sport later, like you have to make it happen. I don't get, mm. I don't get the benefit of being a U23 development rider where, you know, people will take a chance on you. You have to prove it. Like I always say, um, like for me, how I, you know, got to where I am was by winning races. And, and I tell like, you know, young, younger people ask like, oh, like, how do you make it? And I was like, well, the easiest way <laughs> is to win, but that's really hard to do, you know, but if you come in as a winner, yeah, then, you know, everyone loves a winner. And how I, I, I came over in 2017 and, and raced for uh, an Italian team. But before that I had get, like, I had guest ridden for them in, in this small French race while well, I won the first stage. So then obviously, right. Then, then they're like, yeah, we'll bring you on to the team. Definitely get you. Yeah. Right. But then, you know, for me too, like that year when I was over here full time, 2017 on this Italian team, everyone's either Italian or, Ru- or Russian. There, I was the only English speaker. It was super lonely, raced so much, um, but like really old school program. And then, you know, this is the thing too. Now I'm, now I'm a small fish in a big pond. I'm racing with mm. the best of the best, but that's how, how you get better. If I want to be the best, I got to race against the best. Holding that idea, you know, always made it exciting to be in the races. But, you know, even the times when I was losing and I lost a lot that year <laughs> and crashed and whatever, I would keep thinking like like the home life um, in the Italian team house um, and even just like how old school the team was with like uh, you come back from a ride and then the team gives you a, an apple and a bag of tea and says, dinner's at eight. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of like things that just like weren't great. But um, whenever I would get to the races, I just, I loved the racing, whether I was winning or losing. And so then I locked that in to my heart, just being like, you know, you love the sport. So whether, you know, stick in it, you know, like I'm still, my goal is to win races, but I know that I just love the sport. And that's what, you know, kept me going through the whole season when a lot of that other auxiliary stuff was just real hard. And like when you're yeah, second probably, guessing yourself, yeah, you're just like, every time you're second guessing yourself, probably, you know, hating life back at, at the team house going, what am I doing? You get to the race and that vibe of the race just reinvigorated again. And you came back and you forgot what the team house life was like until, you know, the yeah. end of that next week. You're like, oh, bang, yeah. back again. Great race. Whether the results or not, that's so weird because, you know, quite often, if you're getting your head kicked in, it can become that downward spiral. I definitely experienced that myself. You're at home, you're hating life. I lived in North Holland. I wasn't loving it. Go to a race, got my head kicked in, freezing cold. And I come back to North of Holland and be like, whoa, how's yeah. this going to go? You know, so that's really awesome to hear. It's nice because there always is a race around the corner. And if that was invigorating you, you knew you just had to get to that next race. Yeah. Also, I always laugh about like... You know, we, we would drive also, I remember we drove from Italy 14 hours to Gamwevel Gum the day before the race. You're in the car <laughs> for 14 hours to like one of the biggest races of the season and then expected to perform the next day. And, you know, I, I think now, you know, some teammates are, or, you know, now we're on a world tour program. We would be like, that is unacceptable. Like, no way we were going <laughs> to perform. But like me back then, I'm just like, I'm just so happy to be at, at the race, you know, like just whatever I've got, I'm going to use it. Um, but I also like on those drives, 
I'm probably I'm the one sitting in the back just like reading a book. Also, because like, did I even have a phone plan then? Nope. I was just no. like Wi-Fi spot to Wi-Fi spot. So I'm just like, so it probably for me, like all my Italian teammates just think like this girl's like really introverted, quiet. She's just reading books. But then I would get to the race. I would see one person that was an English speaker. And all of a sudden I'm like this whole other extroverted person. Cause I was like, I haven't spoken in three days. Like I need to tell some stories to someone. And any English speaker would just all of a sudden become my best friend. It was probably, they'd be like, whoa, like this girl's like really over the top. <laughs> That's like how you, how you survive. <laughs> Do you think it really helped you? Look, I'm, I can only reference myself again is that like that those first years those hard years that as much as I hated it I look back at them and that set me up for that longevity because you're like you know if I got through that this stuff is easy I love this oh yeah it's like I almost needed that hardship to really understand if I love it or not it was like mate you either love this thing because you pretty quickly gonna know if you don't yeah I know I think too like when I was on Sunweb and I just like they they hire really young riders and they immediately come on this program that takes care of them you got Mm. so many resources science you know all all these like checks and balances that it's you know great program and I just think oh man like where do you go from here Mm. if you if you get demoted to another team are you going to keep with it because you're like the perspective is just like oh well it wasn't my last team wasn't like this but for me I think I can appreciate all of the resources the staffing, even the equipment, all of that, because I think, oh, well, let me tell you a story about (laughs) when I was on the other team, you know? (laughs) And so for sure, that perspective also like helps me be really positive about the, you know, the growth and the progression and also just being able to see the, you know, changes also in women's cycling. And so I, I I do love that perspective, you know, like we also, right, we have Zoe Baxter on the team and she's already a champion. She's never going to have to be on one of these (laughs) like shooting little Italian teams. You know, I I have to keep, I'm I'm like that old person now just telling like, wow, you didn't see where I came from or, you know, but. It is like, I I feel like, and I bang on about it all the time in the men's peloton, it's a bit of a dying sort of and we are seeing like easy it's not the right word but it's just a different way into the peloton now and i feel like you know the the art of racing is sort of being lost and that art of sort of learning a another culture and understanding the sport from a cultural sense because i can imagine that italian team you had to learn about the old school culture like you said dinners at eight yeah it's starvio time now you gotta you know lose weight you know even if it's backwards and we understand from a science point of view that doesn't make sense yeah you sort of need to understand this sort of backwards way where the sport came from, living in this environment where it's the heart and the love for it. No, that that's that's so true. And maybe also for us, like being non-European, like coming yeah. into that, I understand more of the history of the sport because that's what's really cool about this sport in Europe. It goes so far back that it's so steeped mm. in this, in the history or, or the culture of how things were that a lot of times like we don't need to talk about you know, you, you don't need to talk about like, oh, well, when you're on the podium, zip up your jersey. It's just like, that's like one of the things you just know. Mm. And and I think by going into a program like that, yeah, you, you just learn from like where, you know, where all our, um, the heritage, you know, where we came from and how it has mm. evolved and also how it's it's produced the culture of the sport that we, that we have now. Talk to me about the dream, the Olympic dream, 2020. You got to go to the Olympics. Was that something you wanted to do? Look, I think coming from Australia, that's always, you know, I think in any any country, you know, but in cycling terms, I think if you come from Europe, 
it's like riding in the world to a ring in you know the Tour de France. But I think coming from a country like Australia, maybe Canada, it's all it's all Olympics, Commonwealth Games sort of base, and that's when you get the recognition. Especially when I did the Commonwealth Games, suddenly people I knew back here had been racing for ten years already in Europe. They're like, "Oh, you actually you're good. You rode the Com Games." And I'm like, "Mate, like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it." But tell me about the Olympic dream for you. You know, that's a, definitely a massive step higher, but. You get that recognition in your own country, like, oh, yeah, you actually do something, you know? Or was it also personal for you too, obviously? Totally. Uh, As a Canadian, I think, um, right, I'll tell people I'm a professional cyclist and they'll ask, like, either two questions, like, do you race the Tour de France? Which, like, now at least I can say yes, you know, at least in a way that, like, I mean, it's the same type of race and so on, you know? Or then they'll ask, like, oh, like, the Olympics. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) but until then, you're just like, oh, like, there's so much more that I've accomplished or that's really a big deal that it's just, yeah, they just don't know because it's not steeped in the culture at all. So, for sure. And and also, like, as a kid, I grew up watching the Olympics and just dreaming of being Mm -hmm. an Olympian. Whereas, like, as a kid, I, I never dreamed of you know winning flanders or doing some of these races that now are would just be the the dream you know now we know how like big big a deal these races are but so the olympics is always yeah something that also would just mean so much more to my family and my you know friends growing up or or whatever back in canada so yeah getting and for me it was like the last minute kind of call up Mm -hmm. but you know going um was absolutely just like it felt like the coolest thing you know top of the world sort of thing but Mm. what's funny is like i thought you know after i became an olympian i would go back home and i would never have to buy myself a beer again you know what i mean (laughs) like people would just be like oh yeah she's olympian but what's really funny is like none of that happened (laughs) but i remember just thinking like oh i'm gonna make this you know video about basically you know cutting in front of the cafe line just being like oh yeah, I'm an Olympian. I know, guys. And uh, you got your ring, yeah. your ring, your ring tattoo. It's just like exactly. you know, just scan it, scan it like it's a you know straight on the F post machine. Exactly. Uh, and I think you know what's interesting about contrasting that kind of what I thought would happen out of the Olympics versus winning Paris Bay, which has such a ripple effect. It's gotten all across like Canadian media, big media. Rightly uh, so. Media. Rightly so. Yeah. And and people are understanding it, and um, and now now so far I haven't had to buy myself a, a beer yet anywhere I go, which is like okay, yeah, this is this is what witty means. But also, it was interesting in Panama, like we had the Canadian ambassador who's in in Panama at the embassy um, find a way to like contact me um, to come, you know, and and uh, shake my hand basically and it's like that how does how does the news like whatever happened and I thought oh maybe it's because she like heard that you know I had done well in in the time trial at Panama the first race and she was like she was like oh no I didn't know you had to you raced already here she's like I heard about (laughs) Perrier Bay and you're like what the heck like the Canadian ambassador that's in Panama hearing about the Perrier Bay and you're like well like this it's a big deal. It's it's Roubaix. I lo- I love this even more. This is what I dream would happen. That you know you you and it's it's happening. Um, I think. Look, I've, you've spoken about it a few times, and I've definitely seen it with my own eyes. But I think you're one of the people that's really contributing to it. Sort of where is where is like women's cycling now, and you know. How has it actually changed over over your career? You know, you you were right down sort of I wouldn't say in the trenches, but you did it like proper. Like you said in the Italian team, you came across, you've experienced it at all sort of levels, and you've sort of watched it grow in your own eyes. I've been loving watching it grow, and personally, 
I really loved watching. I absolutely loved the women's Roubaix on Saturday and having a whole day for it. It just works so well. Yeah. Worth, you just get the whole race to watch. I get hyped about both races and it's a whole weekend of Roubaix. Like what's better than that? Yeah. Tell me about what you think, you know, where, where it's at now and how, it, how it's changed and what sort of help, help, help it change really. Yeah, I think a big a big push. Uh, I, I mean, I think female athletes we've been pushing for forever, just to for and also for our fans to have our races televised um, mm. full through because mm. that that's how you grow um, you know a fan base and how you, how you really can grow the the economics of the sport. But also like all the fans were you know wanting to be able to see bike racing and th- and that's the thing if you love bike racing you're going to love it watching either the me- the men's or the women because the race mm-hmm. is dynamic and exciting and what we have for the women is is such a a great product it's shorter it's a little bit more manageable for people to watch mm-hmm. but also it's going to be fast and and aggressive from start to finish because it is shorter so you know you have that the the speed and the pace is just going to be a little bit more like chaotic and madness all the way through and it it builds a great storyline and also as the sport is progressing you get a lot of these like new come winners or um you know it's a bit a little bit less predictable um it makes it you know a great product but we you know a couple years ago the cyclist alliance that was started by irish slappendale and and uh, a couple of the you know like legends in our sport and they really rallied what all individuals were trying to do to make the the sport more um, accessible to fans and also you know grow the coverage and the salaries and uh, I think by you know having that the cyclist alliance really pushed um, and actually made things happen because I think a lot of times people used a lot of words but had no action it's like oh yeah we support women cycling and then you'd say we'll put your money where your mouth is and mm. you know nothing would happen or or oh we should do this or like oh women cycling mm. should be on tv more or whatever but nothing would happen and it was the cyclist alliance that actually started ma- taking things off the boxes and making it happen and like the results from that are just like bigger and better and better and now even you know you have a minimum salary now you have female athletes that can dedicate all their time to just training and racing and now you raise the level and now you have mm. you have a, a a depth of the field where you have more people that are just like stronger and can win which also makes it like now when there's people on the breakaway it actually it could be a strong breakaway that goes away yeah. just like the small teams just trying to you know be a part of the race somehow so yeah it, it's it's great to watch there's a long way still to to go of course and it's really hard to sort of you know like break that history of like from france like belgians they love racing no matter what male female they want to see it at any time but there's some other countries too where just like the history of the sport is is so steeped in men's cycling and such a block for for women's and it's going to have to be just like a, a culture cultural change but you also see that in a lot of other sports where um yeah women's sport is really being elevated and that and that ha- helps everyone i could i could be wrong I, I totally agree and i didn't understand a couple of those points there that, that have been happening behind and why we, I've, I've sort of enjoyed watching it but watching it more i would say um because what i started really enjoying was and maybe it's just got to do with the depth, but I thought it was because of the wages, because now, you know, females are actually probably a bit more happy to do a job because they're getting paid to do a job. Whereas before, I sort of got the feeling, I was like, why am I going to lead you out if I'm actually getting nothing? I actually need a win myself. So it's sort of just turned into this big race of individuals. And now I'm seeing these amazing lead outs. I'm seeing these amazing mm-hmm. chases. And this actually makes the racing 
so much more interesting to watch, much more dynamic, like you said. And the next thing is the depth. You know, a lot of females, mm-hmm. well, all females have got time to train properly, prepare themselves properly. So it's the combination of both, which in the end comes down to getting paid correctly for a full-time professional profession, really. Yeah, no, that's right. And and also you see now we're having a little few, a few more specialists, like sprint, mm. real pure sprinters and pure climbers, mm. whereas before there wasn't really a good enough job for that. So if you were just a pure climber, there's only a couple of races that really suit you. So then if you're not super excellent at that, then you're not really going to have a job because there's there's kind of other people that can do a little bit more. And so now with the development of the sport, you can have specialists like that. And that's a role that's, you know, important by the team that they want to fill. And that's the same with the domestic role. Teams now also that you can, now that you can watch the races full through, DSs and sponsors and people involved Mm. in the industry can also see the importance of the role that a teammate is doing. Whereas before, right, like, I mean, DS is in the car, you don't see the race. You just see people getting spit out the back or, you know, hmm. whoever's winning at the front. And and now now you can see the how the whole storyline plays out and, and that absolutely gives ro- jobs to the domestiques and now it's it's a it's a role that's really important and teams look for the best domestiques to hire f- for that position. Let's talk about you lastly. I read something pretty crazy just before this interview that said before the Tour of Flanders this year, that was it. You were going to rack it. You were done and you were going to focus fully on your socials. Because <laughs> um, you've got an awesome sort of social presence in terms of TikTok. I actually don't have a TikTok account, but I've got your Instagram account and I've been watching you for the last couple of years because you're super fun. Um, you love a bit of a dance and I love when you rope your teammates into it and they cannot be bothered. That's almost the funniest part for me. <laughs> I read this article that said maybe it could be a load of, you know, BS, but it said that, you know what, I'm done. I'm not even going to do the Tour of Flanders and lo and behold, you did the Tour of Flanders, you did Roubaix. Is that a load of crap or is was that was there some truth to that? There is no truth to that at all. I also, some people were sending me this article and I was like, where is this coming from? It's like some April Fool's joke that some Canadian right, media right. had put out. but. They they've put like uh, they've just put it out there and now it's like if you search my name that's the first thing that comes up and it's so funny and even like there is some pod sport podcast in Canada that had a whole podcast on about like will we miss Allison Jackson in the sport and like there's a whole conversation about this and I was like it's not even true it's just so <laughs> funny but I mean like I love sharing a laugh and mm. so my socials like when something just like cracks me and, and it makes me laugh. I just want to share it with others and laugh about how like this is a great joke or, you know, makes you feel good or whatever. But like in the end, my goal, I want to be the best bike racer. And this other part is just like a great balance to my life. It's totally authentic to my personality and and who I am and what I love to share with people. (laughs) But, you know, it's also funny, like when I was getting more popular and popular with my videos and whatever, and I just wondered, like, I wonder, you know, like, is it one of those things where people are like, oh, yeah, well, she's really popular with the fans, so she's going to get a contract or whatever. And I was like, in the end, I want to be known for my bike racing more than than this part of me. You know, it's like there's a lot in the world that you can't control. You just put the best, your best self forward and then see what happens. And so that's what I'm trying to put my best self 
forward in the bike races, but also, you know, in this other part that I really do just like love interacting with fans and, and having a laugh and stuff. So it, both parts have been pretty successful and it, and it's kind of nice, you know, when you have that balance of, you know, if, if my racing isn't doing so well, well, I've got this yeah. other part that I could just enjoy and feel good about. And then if the bike racing is going well, well, actually that also helps my videos, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're 34 years old now. Like I said, you're sort of in your ninth year. How much longer do you, we're going to see you around? Are you going to pump out a, a big, you know, 18, 20 year, 20 year career? What are you thinking? Are you sort of now with Roubaix, it's sort of, I didn't, I wouldn't say you were sort of losing the passion at all, but as that reinvigorated, you're like, oh, I am in for the long haul. Yeah. You know, I, I always say I'll keep doing it as long as I love it. Um, I think a lot of times athletes, when they get older, they, they kind of shy away from the the risk or the chaos. And mm. that's still one of my favorite parts about bike racing is just right. that little bit of that chaos. And, um, but, you know, as right, as we see women's professional cycling growing and becoming more professional, there's also a role like at some point, my expertise, my experience, um, how I see the race, and also that I'm able to teach it or pass it down, that also creates it. That's a, that's a role, a team captain role that's on the road. Or, um, you know, I still have this, you know, passion to win. I really want to win. But at some point, yeah, how do you, you know, maybe do you, can you finesse it to go from winner to, you know, domestique or teammate or team captain? And I think I've seen a lot of athletes struggle with that because, you know, when you're a winner, it's really hard to maybe step away from that. You know, winners are always going to be a winner. Or, you know, if someone asks me, you know, do I back myself for winning something? I'm going to say yes, because that's hmm. that's part of my spirit, my attitude. If, But then, you know, can I, will I be able to finesse that to see, actually, you know, I've got a teammate who's better than me at this and I want to ride all out for them. And I hope that's where I would transition to or be able to notice when that point comes, you know, because I think to be a successful bike rider, you have to be able to have confidence in yourself. So when do you when do you say, ah, no, not me, but them? So I, ho I hope that's, you know, that's kind of where, you know, the my career, I think, will go. Um, I just really love it so, you know, so much right now. And I also see we have so many examples in women's sport of, of women that are older than me and still being such bosses. So, and then as you know, like, yeah, one Perry Roubaix, but like, that's not like, you know, you could say like, ah, yes, that's the end. I'm done. But really for us, right. Once you check one thing off the list, you're like, oh, yeah. what else can I put on there? How, how much bigger can I dream? You know? And that's the way it needs to be because once you sort of forgive, you know, and, and let it go and that's it, it will come crumbling down so quickly. But I think what you're sort of alluding to there is I think you've got great sort of leadership characteristics, you know, even just humbling, um, rounding up your your friends to get in the videos, you know, that takes a part of people wanting to be around you. And I think you would be a great to go into that role in the future once you go, okay, cool. And that is hum being humble enough to sort of call it before it's too, yeah. too long and go, I'm going to shift into this next role because I've got way more to give in this role. I can see that happening with you very, very easily. It's It's been great chatting with you today. I really could just chat on and on. And once again, it's a shame we're not in person, but this is the next best thing. Alison, thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, no, this is fun. It's a good, it's a good chat, Mitch. Oh, how good is she? Alison, Roubaix, what a combo. I love talking to her about that. I love talking about anything Roubaix 
but especially this year's edition of the women's race was amazing. Great to see her take it out because she's such great value. I hope you enjoyed hearing her story today. Big thanks to Will Jones behind the scenes who puts these episodes together, the Life in the Peloton team, Megan Spurlow, who are helping you bring that all that extra content and putting the nuts and bolts behind this podcast as well. Our partners, Rafa, love working with those guys. And of course, you guys for listening. Next week, I've got her, Alison Jackson, Talking Luft. So guys, just a week away, she's going to be back for Talking Luft. So guys, until then, cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.